The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Lord Jesus, I plead today by your blood for every person who will listen to this broadcast. I plead, Jesus, that you will open our eyes and our ears and our heart, that we could know you, Jesus, that you would be everything for us. Lord, come and awaken us. Lord, many who will listen to this broadcast don't have the fundamental understanding of your teaching about sin and anger and holiness to even begin to get a hold of how to find you, Jesus. I ask that today you would put in place those pieces that we need in order to move beyond just the raw feelings the sentiment that, Lord, we could truly be followers of yours and that you would be everything for us, all of you, Jesus, and none of me. Lord, thank you. Lord, bless your people with conviction, with an open heart, with an open mind, that your spirit could come and teach us. 
and change us by your precious blood. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray in your name, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Sin is fundamentally selfishness. It sets up a selfish goal. And in order to gain it, it uses selfish means. So that in respect to both, its end and its means, it is precisely opposed to God and to all the ends of general happiness which he seeks to secure for us. Sin denies God's rights. It discards God's interests. Each sinner maintains that his own will shall be the law. And then he sets in place the means by which he hopes to accomplish his own goals. They are entirely opposed to the will of God. I have a neighbor. I'm speaking with him about end times and what's going to happen. I ask the question, do you have enough food in your house to last for six months or a year? With a smile, he said, no. No, I don't. This neighbor is an ordained minister of the gospel. I said to him, well, what are you going to do when a great national crisis comes and the grocery stores are all closed? What are you going to do when order breaks down? How are you going to feed you and your family? With a smile, without any hesitation, he answered the question. He said, I'm going to take my gun and I'm going to come to your house to get your food. My family and I are not going to die. I said, wait a minute. You're saying to me that if order breaks down, you're going to take the firearm that you have and you're going to go to neighboring houses and you're going to demand entrance into their houses and you are going to check carefully to see if they have any food and if they do, you are going to take it for you and your family. I said, in that process, you will very likely be shot and killed. He said, well, I'm going to die either of starvation or I'm going to die by getting shot, but I will do what I have to do to take care of my family. I was absolutely stunned by his response. It tells me that he does not yet even begin to understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. How would I respond as a Christian? Well, my immediate answer to that is that if I ran out of food and I could not care for me or those that I love, I'd go hunting. I'd go look for game. But I would also get on my face before God. And I would ask Jesus to direct my steps and show me exactly what I should do. I also would have made preparation before that day came, so that when everything was shut down, I would have adequate provisions put aside to take care of me and my family. It sounds so simple. I'm not going to go and harm other people to take care of myself. I have a heaven to win and a hell to lose. I don't want to walk in 
in sin. I want to walk clean before God. But you see, there is... There is anger in the heart of man. And that anger comes out of not having our way. It is this selfishness that rises up and says, I will have my way, and if you're in the way of my having my way, I'm going to take you out. That is the animal man filled with the rage and anger of sin and selfishness. Sin is selfishness. It is putting myself first above the well-being of God and his government. It is putting myself first above the needs of others. Sin is selfishness. And a part of sin is rage and anger. Because when I can't have my way, man becomes angry. We must deal with this anger of our soul. Now, you may say, but pastor, I'm not angry. Anger manifests itself in several different ways. One of the ways that anger manifests itself is with rage. Yelling, screaming, bitterness, fighting, and all of that is flowing out of a man or a woman who cannot have their way. They cannot force others to do and be what they want them to do and be in order to accomplish what they desire to accomplish. A wife becomes angry and raging at her husband because he will not be what she wants him to be. Or a husband becomes very angry with a wife because she doesn't respect him or she doesn't show due diligence according to his standards. And so he may rage or he may just pout. He may just withdraw. In my past, I was very angry. And I dealt with that anger as a child, as a young person, by fighting. And it wasn't until high school that I was brought by the Holy Spirit before the judgment bar and was shown that my anger was taking me into death. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment. But there are other ways we manifest anger. Another way we manifest anger is by indifference. Indifference. I don't care. Do what you want to do. doesn't matter to me. Go your way. I'm indifferent. Do whatever you want to do. It's not going to touch me. Well, indifference is also anger. It's the opposite side of the coin. Another manifestation of, of anger is depression. A person who is depressed is basically angry because they can't have what they want. But they're not allowed to be angry. So they'll be turning that anger in on themselves and cannibalizing themselves with their anger. Anger and bitterness create a root that grows in the heart and poisons many people. And we have to come to terms with this angry spirit that we have inside of us that demands that we have our way. This anger also shows itself in that we love to talk about 
those we love. The broadcast uh, producer for this show, uh, Kevin, he does such a magnificent job for me and for Jesus. He's always faithful. He's always there. He always perfectly executes the broadcast unless there are circumstances beyond his control that he cannot affect, even though he plans in advance and is very diligent and concerned. He's also a very dear friend. I love him like a brother. Well, I'm happy to talk to you about him. I'm happy to talk to other people about him, and I do. And I tell people how wonderfully blessed I am to have Kevin Jones as my producer. We like to talk about friends. I love to talk about David and Catherine and Michelle and and Ed and I could name many others. Mark. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm proud of how they live their lives. It's wonderful to see them grow in the spirit. Happy to talk about them. But we do not like to talk about our enemies. We don't like to talk about, unless it's malicious gossip, to pour out our hatred of them and our opposition to them. But most often with enemies, we're simply indifferent toward them, and we choose not to talk about them. Uh, We don't want to increase our inner sense of loss because of their anger with us. So we just don't talk about our enemies most of the time. Well, when we come to Jesus... If your anger has been put away, you will speak freely about Jesus wherever you are. You will be happy to talk about his glorious personality, his character, the gifts he has given to you, the influence he has on your life. When my late wife was still alive, I easily and freely talked about what a wonderful gift Jan was to my heart. It was not hard. It was not embarrassing. I wanted anyone I met to also meet my wife because she was so much a part of me. And I still find it very easy to talk about her now from memory. She was... For me, a great healer and inspiration. She was a giant in my eyes in the Christian faith. Her heart was filled with love and compassion for people. She was a minister of the gospel. It's so easy for me to talk about her. I could spend the whole program and tell you stories about Jan. But somehow, for many of you, when it comes to talking about Jesus, you don't talk about him. When you're in a a restaurant, you don't want to bow your head sometimes and pray. And in your conversation with others, you don't want to talk about Jesus. Why? Because... You're indifferent to him. And in that case, you're angry with him. So he's embarrassing to talk about. You don't want to you don't want to talk about an enemy. Now you can be very much in religion, 
And you can talk about God. You can talk about religion. You can talk about your church. You can talk about the social events of the church, the concert that's coming up. But are you free to just talk about Jesus? Are you free to introduce him to other people? Or is there anger in your heart toward him? Or is there indifference in your heart toward him? Both are anger. This issue of anger must be dealt with if you are going to have intimacy with Jesus. Some of you are angry because you think he is not fair. Others of you are angry because you've never been able to be successful in walking holy before him. You've always gone back to your sin. And so you feel guilty when you talk about Jesus. Some would say that it all began at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and that that Adam's heritage was anger that he was thrown out of the garden, and anger that he had to work the ground and till the soil and earn his bread by the sweat of his brow, that he lost his home, he lost his free provision, he lost paradise. And so deep in the heart of man and every man and every woman is the anger at the loss of the past reflected in the childhood that we did not feel good about or the relationships that broke, the marriages that broke, the child that was lost, the career that was sidetracked, the boss that would not advance you. And so your heart is filled with despair or anger or indifference toward God, and you have finally said, I'll just go make my own way. Someone said to me this last week, the pastor, it's up to each one of us to just go make our own way the best we can. Well, that's a reflection of a deep-seated hostility toward the living God of heaven. There is a turning away from God. Now, my question to you. Was the power of sin broken? Was the power of anger broken at the cross of Jesus Christ? Was the curse on Adam broken? Was the curse on Eve broken at the cross of Jesus Christ? And I want to answer that question by saying, yes, absolutely, it was broken at the cross of Jesus Christ. Back to my anger and bitterness when I was a child. I was angry at my brothers. They were older than I was. They did things that I thought were totally unfair and unjust, and they could beat me up because they were bigger than me. And I used to say to them, when we get older, I'll be as big as you are, and I'll whip you then. And they'd laugh at me. I was angry because of how mom and dad protected them and put me in my place. I'm the youngest and least significant. And I swore a vow in my childhood that when I grew up, I would become somebody. All of that was out of my anger. Driven by ambition to become great, to do great things for God so that I could be considered somebody. 
And the first step in changing that came in high school in a a week of prayer at my Christian boarding school, Mount Vernon, Ohio. Mount Vernon Academy. And in that in that setting, the Holy Spirit confronted me with my anger. And I made a covenant with Jesus that all anger would be broken in my heart and that by the blood of Jesus, my anger would be removed. And suddenly such peace came into my heart. I sat in that in that academy, week of prayer. And it was revival. The Holy Spirit fell in that room. Several hundred students. People began to stand up and confess their sins. The chapel hour extended, extended, extended all through the day. As people were praying all over the campus, as God was moving in power upon the students, he moved in power also upon me, and he said, I've removed your anger, Ray. And I entered into covenant with God then that that anger would not ever return to my heart. And I was changed. I had to come back and revisit that issue several times because there were manifestations I did not recognize that were still anger. I didn't recognize the the hurt and the despair and the depression as God blocked my way from becoming someone great. And I again had to enter into covenant with God and ask that the bitter root be removed from my heart. It no longer exhibited itself in bitter rage, but it did exhibit itself as hopelessness and indifference and despair. And the Holy Spirit said to me, those are all the same thing, Ray. Let me remove it from your heart. And I agreed. And I asked Jesus to come in and remove from my heart all despair, all discouragement. And he has tested me to the nth degree regarding these things. He'll give me an opportunity to be in the public limelight to see whether or not I will step into it. Just recently, I was offered the opportunity to be very public in Washington, D.C. with pastors. And I said, no, thank you. I don't want to allow myself to be put in a position where I am considered to be somebody. And so I said, no, thank you. I knew that was the Holy Spirit testing me to see Have you given up the notion of ever being somebody? And I can honestly say to you today, yes. I'm so grateful that I can be on the radio where I'm invisible, where you can't see me, so you, when we're in public, don't recognize me. I don't want to be recognized. I want Jesus to be recognized. I don't want to take positions of any recognition or glory. I want Jesus to have all the recognition and all the glory. That comes out of a lifetime commitment that I covenanted with God that he would remove the anger from my heart. Now let me be very forthright with you. It finally came to a point in my life where I gave up the big church. I closed it. 
and I went into seclusion for seven years with no public ministry. During those seven years, five of them were homeless. My time was spent reading the scripture and praying and seeking after Jesus and just doing what he asked me to do. And then he opened against my will the National Prayer Chapel. I said, Lord, I don't want anything that has a big name like the National Prayer Chapel. I want a small country setting where I can just be hidden away. You are enough for me. I don't want any public acclamation. I don't want any public recognition. I simply want to serve you, Jesus. And I would be happy if I could just be in my prayer closet all day, reading the word and praying. Those seven years were the most precious seven years of my life, to be hidden away with Jesus. That was a wonderful time. And so when I was pressed, hard-pressed by Pastor David Wilkerson and Ray Brigham, Pastor Ray Brigham, an evangelist from California who was one of those who helped found the National Day of Prayer, who sponsored what was called the Prayer Summits. They both pressed me hard with this question, will you open a National Prayer Chapel? And finally, after a year, I said yes. And it would seem that nothing is happening with it. We have a radio broadcast. We have a a small congregation of people, a church. Nothing impressive, and I'm very pleased with that. Now I'm asking the Lord to bring forth revival but to do so in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus. Now, I have to tell you that on this journey, many times the Lord has tested me over this issue of anger, over receiving praise from men, over the issue of recognition and being somebody. And Jesus has totally broken that from my heart. Now it's just the opposite. Now I want to be hidden in Jesus. Now I can tell you, you will not make much progress with Jesus until this work that I'm describing has been done in your heart, where you honestly come to Jesus and deal with the anger in your spirit or the indifference in your heart the coldness of your heart toward Jesus until you come to terms and make peace with Jesus and are crucified and give up your ambitions, give up your love of money, give up everything to Jesus and only walk in his shadow. Never have Jesus walking in your shadow. And I dare say that many of you today Demand that Jesus walk in your shadow so that he's hidden. Oh, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not public about it, and you're not you're not on fire about it. In fact, you'd be quite ashamed if you were to begin speaking in a public area or a business setting or a an entertainment venue. You wouldn't be talking about Jesus. You'd be talking about the sports. You'd be talking about getting ahead, about your job, about things of this flesh and this world. Now, I have to tell you, when when Jesus brought this subject back to me, I, I rebelled a, a, a little about even talking about it with you because I said, people don't know they're angry. Well, some people do, but... They think they have a right to be angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Well, the anger spoken of there is an emotion. 
please understand, I'm not talking today about the emotion of anger. Emotions just are. They aren't right and they aren't wrong. It's what we do with those emotions that make them sin or righteous. It's what we do with that. And the kind of sin I'm talking about is an inner hostility. It's not an emotion. It's an inner hostility. It's an animalistic demand that I have the red meat I desire. And if I can't have it, I'm going to run over you to get it. It's it's selfishness. Now, the emotion of anger can go with this hostility and often does. But also the emotion of utter indifference can go with this. Some of you today, let's be honest. Some of you today are hard of heart. You're set in your rebellion against God. And you want to go, if you go to a church, you want to go to one that does not uncover your sin, that pats you on the head and says, there, there, you're a good boy, you're a good girl. Look, be all you can be. Go for it with gusto. God wants you to be prosperous and wealthy and Here are some strategies that will help you move ahead. Here are some classes you can take on self-improvement, on anger management. Are you kidding me? The call of Christ is to be crucified and to die, to be born again. But some of you want to stay in a church where they don't prick your indifference. You can be very self-satisfied in your rituals and church calendar, in your church programs, in your concerts, in your entertainment, in your inspiration, and yet essentially at your core being, you're angry and indifferent to Jesus. Jesus has to come and break this for you. I can't. But before you can have Jesus come and break it, you're going to have to identify it. And you're going to have to admit it. And then you're going to have to enter into a covenant with Jesus to have it removed from your heart. I'm not willing to psychologize sin. I'm not willing to say to you, well, you just need to talk with it about a therapist, with a therapist. You just need to get some Christian counseling. No, you need to stop sinning. You need to recognize that the anger of your heart is flowing out of selfishness. You need to recognize that the anger of your heart is from hurt. And that hurt can only be healed when you recognize the way you cover over that hurt with bitter anger or with indifference or with stoicism. You're going to have to deal with this anger or it will deal with you. And it will slowly pull you down into an abyss of deadness. And you'll turn away from the living God of heaven. And you'll turn maybe to your religion or your psychiatrist or your health club. or You'll find comfortable places to hang out, comfortable places to work. And you can ride out this life with some degree of success and pleasure. But you'll miss heaven. You'll miss heaven. Anger will keep you from heaven. 
Bitterness will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Indifference will keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. We have to come to terms with these things. Now, I don't have very much time left in this broadcast today, and it was my intention to spend the majority of the time in the book of 1 Samuel, but I will come to one very brief story out of the life of Saul that will illustrate what I'm trying to talk to you today about in 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter. Saul is left totally on his own, King Saul, king of Israel. He's left on his own. He has disobeyed the word of God, and Samuel has walked away and left him. He has 600 armed men with shovels and picks and clubs against a well-equipped Philistine army, the most sophisticated army of that day, all of them equipped with swords and shields, chariots. It is utterly hopeless. But the son, Jonathan, steps in and says, Look, the Lord God can save with few or with many. Let's go start the fight with the Philistines. Everyone else is hiding. So Jonathan and the armor bearer go, and God immediately grants them success for their stepping forward in faith, knowing it may cost them their lives, but instead God sends a great panic upon the Philistines, and they begin to kill one another with swords. And the Lord rescues Israel that day. But now all of the 600 Israelites are in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food, before evening comes, before I have avenged myself of my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. So the men are fighting long hours. God is granting them a tremendous victory over this huge, huge army, maybe even a million men against 600. And God is granting them such a great victory. But all King Saul is interested in is avenging himself on his enemies. There is such rage and anger in Saul's heart because he's been told that this kingdom is going to be taken from him. His kingship will be lost because he did not obey the word of the Lord. And so he goes into this battle enraged. For him, it is all about himself and his enemies. He does not recognize that this battle belongs to the Lord. It is not his fight. It's God's fight. He's simply a servant in the fight. They are clearing out the land that belongs to God. By the way, the land of Israel still belongs to God And the day is going to come when he clears out every enemy who stands against his people. Now the army entered the woods and there was honey. There was a beehive and there was honey. And Jonathan, who had not heard about what his father had said, and the oath that he bound them under that any man who tasted food would be put to death, He reaches out the end of his staff with his hands. He dips it in the honeycomb. He doesn't want to get stung. And he eats a little of it. And immediately the scriptures say his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers said to him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, Cursed be any man who eats food today. That's why the men are faint. Jonathan responds by saying, My father has made trouble for our country. My father has made trouble for our country. How? He only has self-interest. He does not have the interest of the country. President Obama has intense anger in his heart. There is bitterness in his spirit. I believe it's driving him insane. 
He is spiritually insane. He is not a Christian. And over the last days, he has demonstrated that he has no interest in protecting America. He only wants his own glory and his own recognition. This was what King Saul was about. Now, the whole story of King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel is a very clear statement about a man who's been called by God, appointed by God, changed by the Holy Spirit, who then begins to build back into his life all of the wicked selfishness of sin. Until finally we see the utter end of Saul's life, where he commits suicide. This story is told for us. Now, as evening is coming, Saul builds an altar to the Lord. This is the first time he's done this. So he's going to offer sacrifices again. And Saul says, let's go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn. Let us not leave one of them alive. And the leadership said, do whatever seems best to you. But the priest stepped in and he said, no, no, wait, let's inquire of God. So Saul asks the question, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God wouldn't answer him. There was no answer from God. So the question is, who has sinned in the camp? Who ate food? And they settle it by lots, and the lot falls on on Jonathan. And the Lord did this to show Saul what was in his heart. And Saul responds, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. He is so self-righteous, so filled with his own ego, that when his son unknowingly disobeys his orders, he is ready to kill his own son. He is a very religious man, but he is not a follower of the God of heaven. He is so filled with rage and so filled with anger. The bitterness is so deep in his heart. He knows that God has rejected him. He knows that he has disobeyed the Lord and God his own way. And does he repent honestly and turn around? No, he becomes more religious. Breaks my heart to see men and women hide under the garb of being religious. There's nothing uglier than an angry pastor. Nothing uglier than an indifferent pastor. Someone who has no passion for the things of Christ. Someone who is smooth-tongued and and dressed perfectly. Speaks in beautiful-sounding tones. doesn't love Jesus because his heart is filled with ambition, anger, indifference toward holiness. The soldiers rise up and they say to King Saul, should Jonathan die, he who has brought about the great deliverance in Israel, never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. So God delivered him. And then he became, Saul became the warrior king. And he set about defeating enemies on every side in the rage of his heart. Most ambition is fueled with rage and anger and and the driving demon of success. 
to prove ourselves, to to push back everyone who would deny us what our heart wants above all things. And then when we finally recognize we're not going to get what we want, then we turn to indifference and slough it off and say, well, it doesn't matter anyway. And so husbands and wives end up becoming roommates. There's no passion between them anymore. There's no there's no life between them. They just live in the same house because the anger's been driven underground unless there is an explosion of some kind, and then there's real anger, perhaps even physical abuse. You know what? I don't want to live with anger in my heart. And I renounce it in the name of Jesus. I renounce bitterness. I will not turn aside from the living God of heaven. I will instead turn aside from my anger and ask the Holy Spirit to utterly cleanse my heart and my soul. Are you with me? Will you open your heart to Jesus and enter into covenant with him that the anger and the bitterness and the indifference of your heart should be utterly turned aside, that you should be set aflame with love and passion for our Lord Jesus Christ? What glory to have the peace of God rule in our hearts, to not be an angry people, to not be a defensive people, but to be a man and woman of peace and love and joy and and not weakness. Anger is not strength. Love is strength. Joy is strength. Obedience and righteousness before God, that's strength. Fidelity faithfulness. That's strength. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. I'm very grateful to the number of you who sent offerings this past week so that we can quickly erase the November bill. Let me give you again our address. This broadcast has been helpful to you, and this ministry is helpful, and you want this ministry to go out over this city of Washington. You want to see us finally be able to move to the FM side of the dial. Then I ask, please, let me hear from you. This is the offering plate. You can write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. This video will be up very quickly if it's not already up. And, of course, podcasts are there and many other things for your growth in the Spirit. I'm Ray Greenley. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of God.